Hey guys, thanks for joining us today. One of the things that energizes our teams the most is being able to hear stories of lives that are impacted by this ministry. We would love for you to share your story with us by emailing it to stories at newcommunity.co or maybe your next step to getting connected to what God is doing in this ministry is partnering with us financially. You can do that online at www.newcommunity.co or through the PushPay app and find the giving option that works best for you. Thanks so much for tuning in and enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, NCC. How are you guys doing? Yeah. Woo, you're awake. I love it. Well, hey, my name is Spencer, and I'm the family life pastor here at New Community Church. And I know we've got some uh, familiar faces out here, but also some people that are new. And so uh, if you don't know about me, I've been here at the church for just about five years now, since 2012. Uh, served four years as the youth pastor this has been one year as a family pastor, and I'm also serving as the interim kids pastor right now. But um, I absolutely love this place and love to get to see you guys. Uh, if you didn't know, I've got a beautiful wife that will celebrate three months of marriage this coming Saturday. Her name is Lauren. She is serving faithfully in one of those kids' classrooms. Pray for her. She's dealing with your kids. Um, but make sure you get to know her. She's awesome. Uh, and if I haven't got the chance to meet you yet, I'd love to do that. I'll be at the Connect Center after service as well. But I'm so excited to get to bring the Word of God to you this morning because we've got an awesome morning in store for you because God is speaking great things. And we're continuing this series soundtrack. Who loved that video? Isn't that fun? It kind of portrays just some, some different things that maybe provide emotions and feelings, maybe different songs that can uh, help you even be propelled into action. That's what this series is all about because the Bible actually has books of the Bible uh, written in song form. There are parts of the Bible that are written as songs. And so that's what we've been looking at in this series called Soundtrack, are the songs written in the Bible that are teaching us about life, about love, and about God. And so today's uh, song that we're going to be looking at is written by a familiar artist, if you will. His name is David. And we're going to be looking in the book of Psalm today. And psalm, by definition, means a song or a hymn, okay? So if you ever open up your Bible and you try to do it right in the middle, you usually land in psalms. And uh, that is one of the largest books by number of chapters. There's 150 chapters in the book of Psalms. I'm not a reader, so uh, it's hard for me to think of 150 chapters of anything, but they're short. You can read some of them. They're awesome. So... Um, we're going to be looking in the book of Psalm this morning, and if you've been here for a little while, you know we've been going through this journey through the Bible, and we've been uh, every single Sunday going through different parts, as well as throughout our weeks, we're doing a Bible reading plan, and we believe in the power of the Word of God, and so we believe that it shapes our life. And throughout this year, we've been uh, following this campaign and this idea that we are made for more. Right? You guys have heard that, I'm assuming, multiple times. You see it on the walls. It's on the doors. There's banners on the light poles outside. You guys have shirts that say made for more. And that's what we've been focusing on is that God has more for each of our lives. Individually, as families, even as a church, God has more for us than we could ever think or imagine. And we've realized that to live in that life of more there's some things that we've got to do, and one of the things we've been focusing on is Scripture, and we've, we've been declaring this idea that Scripture is going to shape my life, right? And, uh, and just real quick, I know Pastor Aaron had you do, uh, already declare some stuff, but I want to hear you kind of speak up this morning. You got to sleep in. You're at the 11 o'clock service. So I know you got some energy, and so um, I want to hear you say this right here, and you can be as loud as you want. I don't care if you scream. It's church, but hey, we can get excited for God. So um, I want to hear you say, I'm made for more. Ooh, that was good. Let me hear you uh, look at your neighbor, whoever you came with this morning to your left, to your right, say, you're made for more. 
That's right. Now you can kind of look up here and say, we're made for more. That's right. That's right. And to live in this life of more, we've got to follow God's word. And that's why we've said scripture is going to shape my life. That's why we've been going through the Bible since September in a year-long series, just digging in and finding out what God has to speak to us each and every day of our life. And we should, once again, daily be doing this. And I know Sunday can be like, like church can be your Sunday fix and you get your scripture, but it shouldn't be your daily fix, right? You should be getting to your word every single day because in Psalm 119, verse 105, it says that the word of God is a lamp into our feet, that it's a light for our path. So it guides our every single step. And so if you didn't know, we've got a Bible reading plan we've been doing since September, don't worry, you can jump in at any point. There's no such thing as behind. Everybody's got to start somewhere, but you do not have to stay there. So jump in, get going, begin to let God's word penetrate your heart and let it lead you like it says in Psalm 119. And so this morning, we're going to be led by Psalm 51. We're going to look at one uh, chapter here in the book of Psalm, and this is written by a man named David. All right, and so uh, if you want to flip there, uh, if you don't have a Bible, we've actually got one for the, in the seat in front of you. It's yours. We believe in the Word of God, as you can see, and so we're going to be on page 271 in just a little bit, but as we uh, talk this morning, I'm going to mention quite a few scriptures, uh, but we're not going to read every one of them. It's, it's a part of your job as a Christian to let your growth be your responsibility, so write those scriptures down and then go back to them this week and go, okay, that's what Pastor Spencer was talking about, so um, we're looking at... David this morning, all right? And if you don't know David, you can read about his story starting in 1 Samuel and kind of go all the way through it. But David is kind of like a true underdog story, if you will. Um, at a young age, he's got eight brothers, and he's the youngest of all of them. And he's a passionate shepherd, meant to, uh, or part of his job was to take care of his sheep. And sometimes that meant learning how to fight and even kill giant lions and ferocious bears. We see him later on defeating even giants in front of an Israelite army because they were all so scared. David, uh, he's anointed to be the king of Israel at age 15, uh, all the while being threatened and trying to be murdered by the current king that's jealous of him, right? Um, he's a harp player. And if you guys know the harp, right, the, the big, whatever you want to call it, stringed instrument. Uh, and he wrote many soundtracks uh, of his own. And so today we're looking at Psalm 51. And this is actually in response to something that happens in David's life that's probably not one of his uh, fondest memories. I don't know if anybody in the room has some of those. You're like, oh, I hope nobody finds out that. It's those stories that when you're meeting people, uh, maybe when you're dating, you're like, okay, how, how long do I have to be dating before I tell them that to see if they run away? That's kind of this part of David's story. He's got an area of his life that he's not so proud of. But throughout the Bible, we do see him referred to as a man after God's heart. And so we see that he is somebody that's um, usually really close to God, somebody that has a great relationship with him. And so uh, what happens, it's in 2 Samuel that we're going to see this part of David's life. And in 2 Samuel, starting in chapter 11, I'll just summarize this story, but you can go back and read it. It's a time in, this, in the Bible right here where kings are supposed to be off at war. But for some reason, David had stayed back. And so David is walking around the palace. Maybe he just got tired of watching ESPN. He starts stretching his legs, you know, just walking around. And he gets to the top of the rooftop, and he's just kind of looking out. And all of a sudden, he sees this beautiful woman named Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop. 
kind of sucked in by sin. He, he calls to her, has somebody go get her. He bring, they bring her into his uh, chambers. They sleep together. She gets pregnant. And then David freaks out because he realizes that he's messed up. That this woman is married, and, and how is he going to cover all this up? So what he does is he calls Bathsheba's husband, his name is Uriah, back from the war. Hey, Uriah, come on, man. You've been doing so great. Uh, welcome back to the palace. Grab some good food. Have some drinks. Go home to your wife. You know, you're so glad to see her. You've been away for a little while. Let's cover this thing up. And that's what David's trying to do. But Uriah, being the upstanding man he is, says, there's no way while my men are out fighting a battle, I'll go home to my wife. So David, still trying to figure out how to cover up this whole thing, he devises this plan. He says, okay, Uriah, well, then go back to war. And he sends him back to be on the front lines of battle where he's killed. After that, David takes Bathsheba to be his wife. She bears him a child, and he does one of those big deep breaths in, oh, and a sigh of relief. I can imagine in his mind, he goes, that was a close one. Something so horrible. This was a man that was known as close to God's heart, a man after God's own heart. And somehow he's gotten so separated by sin from where he used to be, right? And, and I'm sure we've seen this, and I've seen it in movies, and you see it in TV shows all the time. The main character begins to go down this path that everybody else can see, right? They begin maybe with just a little lie, and then it becomes a little bit bigger lie. They begin to cheat, and, and then they're killing, and everybody sees it but them, that they've dug themselves a hole so deep that they don't know how to get out of it. And maybe we've done that in our own lives. Maybe we've gotten to places in our life where we're going, how did we get here? What have we done? And that's where David is. And, and we see that um, he thinks he got away with the whole thing, but God sends a man named Nathan. He's called a prophet. God sends this prophet Nathan and says, hey, I need you to tell David something. And David, thinking he was sly, got away with something, kind of like the kid with the cookie jar, right? Kid sneaks the cookie. Parents don't see it. And they say, did you eat a cookie? And covered in chocolate, he says, nah, that wasn't me. Right? This is David's situation because Nathan comes to David and says, hey, God's seen you. And here's what God has told me. And this is in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. I'll just summarize this. Nathan tells David that God said to him, I made you king over Israel. I kept you alive when Saul tried to kill you. I gave you wives and riches. And, and if that hadn't been enough, guess what, David? I would have given you more. But you've betrayed me. So why? Why have you done this? You murdered a man, you took his wife, and all for what? He said, now because of this, you've got to be punished. Murder and, and all of this will continually plague your family. What you did in private, I'm going to repay in public. I can imagine that moment for David getting his mail read by somebody that had no idea what happened. His stomach just drops. Oh my gosh, what have I done? Like, I, I thought I was in the clear. I thought I did everything, but, but now I'm realizing how bad I really was. Shock and shame, betrayal, brokenness, all of these things that he did against God are all coming back, and he's going, oh man, what do I do now? Maybe you've felt this way before. Maybe you've done something that you said, how, how the heck did I get to that point? Maybe it's something that you've done over and over again, and maybe you've done it, and you said, okay, God, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again, and then Next week, you end up doing the same thing. We've all been to that place of brokenness. We've, we've been in a place of shame and guilt. And so what do we do when we find ourselves there? We look at what David does in Psalm 51. What he does is he comes before God because he realizes that repentance leads to restoration. And that if he comes to God with a humble heart, that God 
and God alone can change them. And so we're going to read in Psalm 51. If you're reading the Bible in the seat backs in front of you, it's on page 271. But uh, Psalm 51, starting in verse 1, this is David's song. It's what he begins to sing to God. And let me warn you, this is not modern day songs of uh, please come back. You know, baby, come back. Any kind of. It's not like that. It's not like Usher's Confessions. It's none of these. This is like, God, I need you. So here's what it says, Psalms 51, starting in verse 1. David says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly. Other versions of the Bible say, wash me over and over and over again from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and you'll be blameless in your judgment against me. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in my sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Let's pray this morning. God, I just pray as we begin to unpack your word, the scriptures that you've given to us to guide our feet, to be that lamp and that light, God, that you would help our hearts to be softened as we go ahead and we begin to look at our own lives and see what areas of our life are not in tune with you. And God, help us to push our pride away, to set it all aside and focus on you this morning. Speak to us and help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Psalm 51, that first part, we just read six verses there. David is saying this. God, I'm broken. I messed up. I, I did it all. He's sticking his hands in the air going, please help me because I have done wrong. And I love this because even though David kind of had to be convinced of this, right? Nathan had to come to him and call him out. David starts at a place that we can really learn from, and it's a place of humility. So if you don't know David's story, and when you go back and read it maybe this week in 1 Samuel, you'll realize that David is a pretty famous man. Like, he was the man, if you will. Like, he was, at, from a young age, anointed to be a king. They, everybody knew about him defeating lions and bears. Whenever uh, the Philistine army came and said, hey, who thinks they can take on the giant? Guess what? The young shepherd boy, David, came and defeated him. He became a king that was so well-known and revered. Everybody loved him. He led a nation that followed after God. And all of a sudden, he finds himself in this place of, oh, man, I messed up. And so I feel like it would be easy for David to say, hey, God, I know I did that, but look at all the good things I've done. Do you realize I've led a nation to be closer to you? I've led armies to defeat enemies that were against God, people that had idols and all these things. I've done these things, right? But David doesn't, he doesn't barter with his past victories to atone for his present failures. He doesn't say, look what I did. Here's, here's, here's David. So God, we can, we can cancel these things out, right? Sin plus what I've done is zero. We're good. That's not what David does. David comes with a repentant heart, humble, going, God, I know that there is nothing that I have to barter with with you except for what he says in verse 1, your steadfast love. God, because you love so well, because you love me, because you care about me, because you created me, that's why I'm asking for you to forgive me. Not because I've done something good, not because, you know, who I am. And sometimes we fall into that trap. God, man, I've been going to church on Sunday at least twice a month. I've gone to a small group. Sometimes I give in the offering. I serve. You know, I've been reading the Bible every once in a while. So I know I sinned, but can we just cancel those out? That's not how it works. And that's not a humble and repentant heart that God is asking for or that David comes with. He doesn't come prideful about who he is. He comes 
knowing that he is the lowest of low, that, that he has sinned and sinned against God and God alone. And there's nothing that can bring him back except for the love and the grace and the mercy of God. Now, in, in the scripture, David talks about three different things he says, and if you notice it and look in those first six verses, he says, forgive me of my sins, uh, take away my transgressions, all the iniquities, three different words here that, that we can easily overlook, but are important to our lives because what he's talking about is the sin being something that he kind of unintentionally did. Oh man, I fell into that trap. I didn't really see it coming, right? Then he talks about transgressions. Transgressions being those things that I kind of saw it from a way off and I got a little closer and thought, oh, I probably won't do it, but oops, I accidentally did it. And then he mentions, God, forgive me for my iniquities. The things that, man, I saw and I deliberately planned to do something bad for. David's saying, I've done all of this. I did stuff on accident. I did stuff kind of unintentionally. I did stuff on purpose and I planned to do stuff bad. God, I need forgiveness from all of that because I know that my sin deserves consequence, Right? It's just like in our world today, everybody seems to want justice, justice for what's been done wrong and all these things. And uh, I've heard it said that justice is getting what we deserve, right? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Kind of like when you're wrestling, like somebody pins you down, you can say, mercy, mercy, they let you go. Okay, I had you beat. I could have broke your arm there, but I'll, I'll let you go. And then this idea of grace being getting what we don't deserve. And so David here, man, he deserves justice. He's done wrong. He deserves punishment. He deserves a consequence. He's praying for mercy. God, please don't give me what I deserve. But then he hopes for grace, the grace of God that passes all understanding that goes, hey, I know you don't deserve anything great, but guess what? Because I love you, I'll let you live. I'll give you something more. I'll make your life made for more if you just come to me. And so that's how we should be living our daily life. God, I know that what I've done deserves consequences. It deserves justice. I, I, out of anybody, man, you should strike, strike me with lightning. I've done it. But God, I know you love me, so can you forgive me and not give me that punishment? And if it's, if it's okay with you, do you have enough grace to even bless me despite what I've done? That's what David says, and that's the God that we serve. He knows, David here knows that, that repentance will lead to restoration, and he just has to come with that humble heart. And so we, we pick up reading in verse 7, Psalm 51, verse 7 here. And uh, David continues to kind of wail and lament and say, God, here I am. And this is what he says. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Now, I love that the, the first six verses, that was good, right? Like David, he said, hey, God, forgive me. I've done some wrong. But, but David doesn't sin and say, God, forgive me the end. David goes, hey, I realize how bad I am. And so he keeps going and he says, God, forgive me. Uh, God, forgive me. And he keeps sinning uh, or he keeps repenting over and over again. God, forgive me. Forgive me. I've done wrong. And so here we see him say this uh, very strange line that probably most of us don't know. Uh, Purge me with hyssop. And all of us are like, yes, Lord, do that to me, I think, right? We don't know what that is. But back in the day, that was a, a ceremonial thing. There was people with this horrible disease called leprosy. 
and they would be cast out from their area. They couldn't be around people. They would get other people sick. It was contagious. And what would happen is the priest would do this to them, and it was a sign of being restored. It was a sign of being made whole and made clean again. And so David says, hey, I know I've been sick. My body is disgusting, but God, can you purify me? The next line, he says, can you make me as white as snow? Even though my sin has made me filthy, I mean, I imagine taking some black paint and throwing it on a canvas of, of our white heart and going, God, this is what I look like. That's what David says. But can you make me white as snow? I don't know if you guys have ever seen a lot of snow. I mean, I'm from Texas, and you know what it snows like here. Um, but a couple years ago, I got to go to Wyoming, and uh, me and a couple buddies were climbing the mountains there, and there was 100% more snow that time of year than there was supposed to be. So us Texas boys were a little freaked out, but this is what we saw when we got to the top of this mountain, this completely snowed-over mountain that nobody had touched. It was untainted. It was completely pure. It was so clean that you could have taken that snow and melted it and drank it like water because it was completely pure. That's what David says. Hey, I want a heart like that. I want you to make me so clean that there is no sign of anything in my life that is bad. Make me as white as snow. Man, such a, a clear illustration that he says there. And then I love the next one too. He says, can you uh, restore or, or fix my broken bones so they can rejoice? Now, I may be weird, but I, I really like the, uh, the kind of like doctory stuff whenever a bone is popped back into place. Has anybody seen that? It's kind of disturbing to some people. I know Pastor Caleb gets queasy just at the thought of it. Um, maybe you've seen like the Olympic video last year, uh, a guy's leg came out and just boom, the basketball players, I'm saying it and you're getting queasy, I'm sorry. Um, but me and Pastor Caleb saw it last uh, football season at one of the high school games, one of the player's knees popped out of place. He's laying on the sideline and just screaming because the pain, how, how bad it is when that bone is not in the right place. And, and he knows that it's painful now, but, but he's got to have it fixed. It's got to be restored. It's got to be healed. But to do that, there is an intense level of pain that comes with setting that bone back. And this is what David's saying. He's saying, God, my sin has made me broken like that bone. And I know it's going to hurt when you pop it back in but I'm willing to take whatever it takes to get close to you again. I'm willing to do whatever, no matter the pain, no matter the limit, no matter how long it takes, God, I'm willing, just break me back in place. David's essentially saying, God, can you make it like I never sinned? Can you fix things instantly? That's, that would be great, but how can we unsin? How can broken bones instantly be healed? And it's by the grace of God and only by his grace. His grace makes the righteousness uh, of, of our sin come back to life. You know, whenever we've done something wrong, he can say, hey, you did it wrong, but I can make it right again. He makes our pain into joy, and he, he can do all these because he can change the mathematics of sin. He's the author, the creator, the perfecter of everything that we know, and so that's what David is asking for. Can you restore that closeness that I forfeited? God, you were close to me, but I gave that up because of what I did. And that's what we've got to do as well. We've got to realize when we come to God with that repentant heart that he can bring restoration, that no matter what we've done, no matter how many times we've done it, no matter how far away we've been separated from God, he's asking for us just to repent, just to come back to him and that we can be made as white as snow, that those bones can be put back in place. As we're looking at the rest of it in verses 10 and 12, we just read them, but, but David says this and he says, uh, can you create in me a clean heart? And this is a cool thing because he doesn't say, hey, you know that little imperfection in my heart? Can you fix that? You know, can you just take that little thing out? He says, 
my heart is messed up. God, can you create a new one? The creator of the earth, the creator of the universe, the creator of you and me, can you take that heart and give me something new because mine's messed up? I'm messed up. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit. God, don't take your spirit from me because without you, I do not know what to do. Look what I did. Look what I've already done. This is why I'm here in this place because I've left your spirit. I've, I've allowed me and you to be separated. And so David says, don't leave me alone. Don't take your spirit from me. And then one of my favorite parts, and I think one of the most important for us as believers, is in verse 12. He says, God, would you restore to me the joy of my salvation? For those of you that know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you should know what that's like. And hopefully that is the most incredible memory of your entire life. And it should give you life every day because it was the moment when you walked away from sin when your doubt, your shame, your fear, everything was taken away from you and God said, hey, I've got life and life more abundantly. I've got grace for you. I've got something more than what you could ever think or dream or imagine. I've made you for more. And in that moment, we should go, yes, I'm so happy that God took that, not because I deserved it. Once again, I deserve justice. But man, by the grace of God, he has made me for more. And David says, I want that joy again. I want to rejoice. I want to be excited about what God has done for me. Even if it was 20 years ago that I got saved, I want to remember it today. Every single day, I want to remember, God, you saved me, so I'm living for you. You saved me yesterday. I'm living for you. You saved me 10 years ago. I'm living for you. We should remember it every day, and that's what should propel us into action. And that's what David says in verse 13. He goes on to say, God, once you've restored me, God, I've, I've come humbly before you. I've repented, and that repentance led to restoration. And when that restoration comes, guess what? I will teach sinners your way. I will praise your name. I will rejoice. I will be glad. I will tell everybody about you. I'll scream it from the mountaintops because of who you are, because of what you've done for me. And that's the place where God wants us to be, close to his heart. David goes on and, and, and he acknowledges, God, I know you don't want just sacrifice for sacrifice's sake. If I come to church, that's not what you want. You don't want me just to show up. That's meaningless. You don't want me to just give in the offering. Well, but here's some money. Uh, that's, I'm supposed to do that, I think. No. He doesn't just want your time. He wants your heart. And when your heart is in tune with him, those other things become a form of sacrifice that God wants, one that he likes when he goes, you're so near to me that you've got a heart like mine. So you give your money because you see a need. You see those people in other countries that need you. You see those people in the high schools that need you. You see those people around in your community that need you, and that's why you give. You serve because people come in these doors broken, and they need somebody who's got the love of Christ to greet them. That's a heart like God's. That's a heart that he wants. And so what does that mean for us? question is, where are you at today? Because every one of us, we've fallen short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. We've all made mistakes. Some of us this morning, some of us in our minds right now, some of us yesterday, whatever it is, no matter how long you've known Christ, guess what? You're still a sinner that needs God. So how do we do this? How do we do what David did and come to God and say, God, I need you? First thing, we come humbly. It's not what I do, God. I know I can come to church. I can, I can do the right thing, but that doesn't mean I'm close to you. And so God says, hey, let's find that place where me and you have come apart 
and figure out what caused that gap. Because for each and every one of us, it looks differently. Some of us, we've been going to church our whole lives. I feel like I was raised in the church. I was walking under, crawling under pews when I was a little kid during, during choir practice. And so it'd be easy for us to say, you know what? I, I didn't kill anybody, didn't sleep with anybody's wife, nobody's husband. I'm doing pretty good. Look how bad David is. That would be easy. The more difficult part is to say, God, I know not everything in my life is right. I know that there's things in my life that will separate me from you. And so it's going, okay, what's the cause of that gap? For some of us, it's easy. It's our attitude. The way we respond to people, the way we talk to people, even the words we use can separate us from the closeness to Christ that we want to be. Some of us, it's lying, cheating, stealing. Some of us, it may be adultery. It may be pornography. It may be things that are continually growing in our life that we're going, God, I don't know how I got here, but I need you. And then for some of us, it's that first decision to go, I don't know God. I've never repented to him. I've never sinned. And man, I want to know this guy that created me for more. I want to know this relationship that brings joy beyond all comprehension. And for some of us today, that response is, God, I give you my life for the first time. I repent those things to you. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you to just bow your head and close your eyes. I don't want you to be distracted as we begin to ask God what it is in our life that we need. But before we go any further, I want to make sure that every person in this room has a chance to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so this morning, we're saying we've got to repent for things. And when we do that, that God saves us. But how does he do that? God sent Jesus, his son. He became flesh and died for us on a cross so that we could have eternal life with him. And all we have to do is confess with our mouths and say, God, you are Lord, and begin to live our lives for him. And if you've never done that, if you've kept your sin, your shame, you've kept all of that on yourself, and you said, man, it's getting so heavy, God's saying, I want to take that load. I want to bear that burden. Today, all you've got to do is confess it to him. And I'm going to ask if you're in, that, in this room today and you want to do that, you want to get your life right, you want to start a relationship with God, I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith because I want to pray with you this morning. I want you to stand up wherever you are in the room, and I just want you to come down to the front. There's nobody looking around. But if you want to start that relationship with God this morning, I want to help you get there. there's nobody in the room in that situation, then we're going to respond together in another way as well. This morning, I believe God has been speaking. If you've been listening, that God has been speaking to you, that he's saying, hey, here's where that gap is in our relationship. Here's where we've not been so close because of this area in your life. And once again, some of, some of you may be more holy than me, and you've got to look a lot harder, but there is something in your life that God's saying, hey, that's that area that if you don't get it right, we're not going to be right. And God wants to repair that relationship. He wants to bring restoration where you're broken. And so what we're going to do, Pastor Jason is going to begin to sing. And I want you to physically take something out. If it's the sermon notes in the seat in front of you, if it's your phone or your tablet, I want you to write down the thing or maybe things that God is speaking and saying, hey, here's the area of your life where you're missing it where you're realizing that you haven't given that to me. Maybe you're disobeying God or maybe you're ignoring him and he's saying, hey, if you give me that, guess what? We're gonna be a lot better. I can help you be made for more. I can help you see 
what it's like to have a snow white heart. And so as we take a couple minutes, feel free, the altars are open. You can come up here, you can kneel in your chair, you can sit, you can stand, but, but let's reflect and listen to God. And as he speaks to you, begin to ask him, God, take these things from me. God, I repent from them. I give them to you. Here's what's causing that gap. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Have mercy on me, O oh God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. To create. should be a daily process for each of us. God, create in me a clean heart. Renew my spirit every single day. Restore my joy every single day. And what David says after this is when this happens, man, I will, I will know how to teach people that are doing wrong the right way. I will know how to lead sinners away from their sin back to you. And God, I will praise you. God, make my heart even bigger so my regular praise isn't enough, but I praise you even more. That's what we're called to do. And so this week, we're going we're gonna to challenge you. Daily, will you do that? Will you come to God and say, God, renew me today? I know it's a new day, but I know I'm going to be tempted to do wrong. God, tomorrow, help me to be strong. God, restore that joy. Help me to remember what it was like to come to you so that I can help others know what that's like. I want to teach others your ways. I want to lead others into a relationship with you. And I want to praise you. This week, we've got a, a cool challenge. It's a little different than normal, but every single day this week, we're going to be posting a new worship album on our social medias, something that you can get on Spotify, on Apple Music. And I want, I want to challenge you that this week, can you put away 
all the other music. Maybe it's that radio station you listen to on the way to work. Can you set that aside for one week and say, God, this week I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to remember what it's like to praise you every day. That church isn't the only place I can do that, but daily I want to do that. We're going to post something new every single day for you and your family, whether it's in the car, whether it's when you wake up and you're getting ready for work. If it's at work, before you go to bed, lead your family in some of these songs. But can we praise God this week? Can we recognize him for what he's done in our life, bringing restoration so that we can be made whole, we can be made new, so we can be made for more? Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. God, that no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, that when we truly repent with a humble and a contrite heart, God, that you are faithful and just to restore us. That our brokenness will be made new. God, that our peace will be restored. God, that our courage, that our joy, that all of these things that you've given us so freely, that we would walk in them, that we would keep your presence with us everywhere we go. God, I challenge, man, I challenge Myself, I challenge the people here that we would keep you at the forefront of our minds to remove distractions, remove anything that would keep us close to you, God. Help us to worship you. Help us to praise you. Help us to teach others what it's like to love you and to put you first in our lives. God, keep us safe as we leave here and help us to worship and live for you in everything that we do this week. We love you and we thank you and it's in your name we pray. And everybody says, amen.